The journey continues with the episodic novel Mercury's Wake by Stephanie Vlahos, Day One Before Chaos, now available to read on Kindle and as a full cast audiobook. Hey, Moni, I- I've got a gig in Hollywood, and, and, and you know I- I'm useless without you. Je suis Mercury's Wake, Series 1, Before Chaos, Episode 1, The Book of Imani. Trust me, it'll all just keep getting weirder from here. Fresh from my sorrows, I took the red eye from New York to L.A., hoping Jeff and I might start fresh, that things might be different. Damn, Faye, LA's hot. Did you get more ghetto in Connecticut? What? Not current. No shit, Sherlock. Jeff was in LA directing an episode of a popular Hollywood Getflix series. What are you wearing? I bought this at Mango's. Kinda tropical, kinda Hollywood. LA's a desert. You're saying I've got the wrong outfit for the biome? <laughs> it's a lot of why, babe. He called me babe. It might be fire season in LA, but not in Hollywood. Hollywood is Valhalla. Despite other people's tragic losses, Hollywood gods continue to cavort and expand their brands. No offense, some of my best friends are privileged. A.K.A. Jeff. And, well, he was behaving. Sort of. Uh, did I mention that Jeff also landed the rights to the best-selling book, John Kay? Strange, when that was the last book my mother read. It's called Ling Ling. It brings harmony. That's Cammy, my producer friend. We were strolling the aisles of a massive and hugely upscale LA health food store. Girl, you're ylang ylang in the head if you pay that much for a tiny bottle of smelly oil. Imani, you're so witty. In the land of discord, drive-by shootings, the sunny side of myopia, road rage, gross displays of wealth, casting couches, and boob jobs, how the hell could a little oil bring harmony? Can I get in? I'm sorry? You're taking forever. Look, are you going to actually buy something? You've been here for like 15 minutes. Excuse me? Oh, sorry. I forgot your black life matters. You should be careful what you say. Exactly. White people can't say anything anymore. You can be as rude as you want, and I can't say anything about it because that would make me a racist. Your truth, not mine. Hey, what are you doing? I'm getting out of your way. You can't take all of those. I couldn't make up my mind. Dear me. Bitch. Well, that was an expensive argument. Argument? Imani, sometimes you need to back off. Where did your parents get the name chamomile? It's not very Korean. And how would you know? No offense, it's unique. Uh, microaggression or just flat-out racially hostile? You're missing my point? Look. My actual name is Camilla because Western names done in America. I change it because I like chamomile tea. You should really be careful. People have guns. Really? Why don't you toss hair to the wind and cast a black woman in your movie? You me, girlfriend. Come on, come over here. Let's hug it out. Wait. We can't do that. By the way, Where did you get that rubber snake choker? It's like the inverse of chic. 
I also love that you constantly wear the same uniform that has like four different variations. It's so whimsically anti-consumer. Are you wearing a scrunchie? Yeah. I needed some fresh air. I walked all the way back to Jeff's house in the Hollywood Hills after my encounter with the hostile woman. I also felt badly about pressing a few of Cammy's buttons. It's terrible to let other people affect your behavior, but the race thing isn't just upsetting, it's exhausting. The thing is, Cammy feels it too. On the way up to the canyon, I saw a homeless woman and gave her all the oils, except for vanilla and ylang ylang. Thank you! It was an unusually cool day in LA, the kind of cool day that lays bare all the ambient sounds you rarely hear over traffic. As I walked up from Sunset Boulevard, I was amazed by the number of birds singing, and moreover, crows. I've loved crows ever since I was a child. They watched me play act a million fanciful stories in the woods surrounding our house, cawing and cackling all the while. As I walked, a black cat emerged from the bushes and started following me. She had a collar on with the name Shadow. Funny, the only cat my father ever liked was a black cat named Shadow. It was his grandmother's cat, and Shadow liked to sit with my dad in the wee hours, purring while my father read. It was as if, according to my dad, Shadow shared in the literary fantasies in every novel my father read. Be careful, Shadow. There are coyote everywhere. Shadow walked right up onto Jeff's front porch and looked up at something just behind me. I turned around and there was a monarch butterfly nearly inches from me. It flew over my head and alit on my shoulder. The cat rubbed against my calves, purring. It was a little moment of heaven, accompanied by a mild breeze, urging the leaves of the large beech tree in Jeff's front yard to chatter. You are powerful. E, hurry, I've located the fulcrum. Fulcrum? E. Jeff certainly had the gift of making an entrance and scaring off the natives. As I turned to go in, I heard a scratching on the porch railing. A crow. And it had something in its mouth, which it promptly dropped. I've heard about crows befriending people and routinely leaving them gifts. Shiny things. This crow watched me as I picked up the gift. The crow left a bottle cap. On the inside, someone had drawn a question mark and magic marker. I pocketed the bottle cap. I wanted to believe it was a gift, and as such, it was special. E? I've been such an idiot! It's been right in front of me! Oh, hurry up, you dark cow! According to Jeff, cow is an affectionate term in the UK. There you are. E, I'm a genius. Debatable. However, Jeff got the John Kay gig. Mostly because his ambition was relentless and, well, finding any representative for the book John Kay wasn't easy because both author and publisher were anonymous. The only thing with a name on it was a foreword to the book written by an anthropologist named A.R. Eyes, and she died in a tragic car accident. Or so they say. Apart from the book, the only port of call for John Kay was a weirdly esoteric website divided into a series of pages highlighting significant quotes from the book against a backdrop of binary code. 
At the bottom of each page was a unique hashtag that linked to a pain point with a revolving solar system in sync with users' time zones and precise geographical positions. Once there, you'd have to wait until 11.13pm, your time, click on the image of the Earth, and freely pay for the book John Kay. That book was live. People were already on a mission. A few weeks after I arrived, a pop song hit the charts, furthering the John Kay mystery. The song was written and sung by a famous K-pop band. K-pop plus John Kay equals boom. The lyrics to the song, My Me, detailed a legendary conversation with John Kay Mercury, or so the band said. Ain't no place in the sky, ain't been to. All I know is that I love you. Apparently, while on tour in Kansas, the band stayed with a rich, eccentric octogenarian who had an old ham radio. FYI, ham radios are super cool vintage techno nerd radios. Some people have reached the space station via ham radio. Truth. One evening, the band members started playing around on the radio. After about an hour of noise, a man's voice emerged over the radio waves, asking. The rest is the stuff of legend. My Me was an anthem, perpetuating the mystique of a book that wrapped its readers in emotional prose written by an anonymous author who, in a celebrity-driven consumerist culture, didn't care about fame. Say what? Binary code. I've been staring at all of that code for weeks, getting vertigo. Are you saying you found a John K. contact? <laughs> you got it, girlfriend. Jeff, please tell me you didn't just call me girlfriend. Now, let me take you on a magic carpet ride. See... Binary code converts to words, so all of these numbers in the background of the John K. website convert to the phrase If you knew how lucky you are, you would be more god than mortal. Classic John K. quote. And? It's a hashtag, which takes you to a Spitter account. How disappointing. Wait. Click on it. You've got your hand on the mouse. Can't you click on it? Come on, it's fun! I dutifully clicked on the hashtag, which took me to a Spitter account named Float in Code Blue. Okay, this is different. What's the name of the account? Float in Code Blue. Oh my god, sometimes the money. That's the lyric in the song My Me. Wow. I know, right? However, it's a private account. It doesn't allow followers. I thought getting followers was the point. What I mean to say is you have to put in a request to follow. Don't tell me. You've sussed out the secret password for whomever you're trying to reach so they can recognize you? How did you know? My god, Jeff. This is like a bad movie. Bad movies make money. He had a point. The private Floatin' Code Blue account was nothing like your ordinary spitter page. It had a wallpaper that was animated, transporting the viewer into outer space. But it was almost like a live video because the imagery didn't seem to repeat itself. It was also a place for John K. fans who managed to find their way into the secret clubhouse to chew the fat. 
These were people so into the book that they invested heaps of time unearthing hidden truths in John Kay's words. They trope on alternate realities about everything from fast food to politicians. It could sometimes get heated because John Kay spoke to everyone, you know? All the passionate, paranoiac, and screwed up minority world tribes. Okay, multiply his initials, dude. I'm not seeing it. Don't you get it? Yeah, I get the number 1430. Exactly! Angel 1430 brings tidings of a better world order. They also called themselves disciples. Oh, not Jeff. Jeff was a cult, disciple, and creative messiah unto himself. He certainly wasn't part of the John K fandom, but he played along with a purpose. He began by adding his two bits on the chat threads. Once he got a few likes, he playfully challenged fans to write a mock film pitch for John Kay. You know, how they might envision the John Kay story. Loads of fans responded in the chat. Most of the descriptions were about three sentences within the word limit. Jeff recorded his and provided a link. It was his own little podcast. We start with an astronaut floating in the inner sanctum of a spaceship, somewhere in dark space. Here's our John Kay Mercury. We live with him as he moves through his routines, everyday tasks in a small vessel. We may be in outer space, but it's just another day in forever. Why? Because John K. Mercury is forever. He isn't interested in outer space. He's interested in inner space. While Mercury does his daily chores, he muses and speaks aloud. His words morph into pictures, vignettes, moving images through shadow play, mutoscope visuals, painting, blurred collages. And then, somewhere mid-series, we see John K. Mercury's reality differently. This time, the camera pulls away, revealing a papier-mâché spaceship hanging in a massive airplane hangar, surrounded by projected imagery of his memories. But get this. As we move toward the denouement of John K. Mercury's story, we realize he isn't in a spaceship at all. John K. Mercury is just a guy in a suit who's barricaded himself in a random gas station's public bathroom in the middle of the desert. He sits on the lidded toilet, above which we see the famous last lines from the book John K. crudely engraved in the bathroom wall. Just as we embrace the reality before us, we hear the sound of sirens. The camera pulls away, breaking through the bathroom ceiling up into the sky as fire trucks gather in the desolate parking lot of the gas station. Doors open and the firefighters, armed with a, a hundred strategies to breach the gas station bathroom, are ejected into the parking lot tarmac. There they stand, in the inertia of bewilderment, while the tumbleweed tumbles and the wind sings a lament. We hover over the sea, momentarily, circling like raptors until a, a giddy jet stream binds us and transports us high, higher into the sky, into the stratosphere, up into the outer space, dense presence and sound. We cut away to a man's face in an astronaut's round helmet, framed by the red, round planet Mars behind him. Pushing in closer to the man's face, his eyes catch ours, but only for a moment. He turns his head away. He's looking at something much more important. In a reverse shot, we see that John K. Mercury sees the blue-green earth for which John K. Mercury sadly reaches. But we're not done. Cut away to behind a man sitting in the dark of his office in front of a bright computer screen, trying to write. The phone rings. The man answers. I'm stuck. What do you see, John? A sign? It reads, For a good time, call... Jeff, that's 
both genius and mildly ridiculous, do you mean we're all characters in a screenwriter's head? Why not? A month later, Jeff received a private text from an attorney who claimed to represent the John Kay estate. Jeff was on a meteoric journey towards fame and fortune. I hadn't looked at John Kay since I found it on my mother's bed table. It was sacred. The last thing she read... But... Opportunity was possibly knocking. I grabbed Jeff's copy of John Kay. In my mind, the book must have a minor character motivating the plot. You know, a harbinger who is an early victim of an attack by a slimy alien or a random spore. A character whose sacrifice is the first plot point in a sci-fi flick. Perfect fit for me. I flipped through the pages. Oh, come on. No women? Aha! You're not a name, Amani. Don't be ridiculous. Besides, Mercury is a man. Can you be sure? His name is John. Okay, I'll play forthright. Forthright? God, Jeff, have you read the book? Most of it. You've gone so Hollywood. Judging from that sentence construction, so have you. Jeff, do you love me? Yeah, but you might want to lose some weight. Uh, for auditions, that is. You know, I stupidly thought I wanted to get back with you. All I've done is be your girlfriend at parties, and the only reason you tolerate me is that you think that people... Hmm. Let's face it, you think women will find you more interesting for being with black women. You're not that black, and you're a prude. Which part of me is a prude? My black side or my white side? Is that you, Kara? Brilliant audition. Kara, uh, hold a moment. E... I'd like my book back. Point well taken, Jeffrey. I put everything in my pipe and smoked it, but it didn't get me high. I'm not a Buddhist, but a friend who chance told me to ask for something and the universe would deliver. I couldn't stop wishing Jeff would drop dead. A year ago, I would have stayed. Jeff made me laugh and I forgot my sorrows, but Jeff was toxic. Don't judge me. We all secretly thrive on toxic things. Toxic food, toxic relationships, toxic vices, toxic jobs, toxic politicians, toxic thoughts. Can I self-help? Publicly seek advice for my problems on what forum? Confess, publish, and play Buddha on tedium? Ask for help from a WhoTube shrink? The answer is tear it down. As I walked out Jeff's front door, there was my crow friend. I looked down, and sure enough, there was another gift. A bright, shiny penny. Thank you, dear friend. I took my Hawaiian outfit, Jeff's copy of John Kay, and myself to Las Vegas to wallow in my losses. I'd been at Caesars for nearly a week. Crazy, right? My new life rotated around sleeping and reading. I know, strange that after months of isolation during a pandemic, I willingly returned to it at a world-famous resort. The TV was on. A panel of academics discussed the Sanatana Dharma Eternal Order. I was intrigued by the idea of pondering universal constants, whether or not we choose to honor them. And yes, it did cross my mind that this was lofty programming, but hey, 
it made me happy. This presentation sponsored by? As the movie began, I drifted off to horns. They heralded a dream. I was back in high school. As I walked through the polished school hallway, I saw my old friend Tessa. Tessa had everything going for her until she collided with cruel fate in a horrible accident that left her paralyzed from the neck down. She was only 16. She later died from complications. But in my dream, Tessa was alive, young, happy, and walking. She saw me, ran over to give me a big hug, and whispered in my ear, Imani, life's not a crapshoot. I needed that alarm clock. It reminded me I was alive. Let's walk the Appian way. Armed with my friend, John Kay, I wandered the casino, counting every moment until I could get back in bed. I found myself at the now-familiar Yellow Bick Road at Caesars, the Appian Way, a consumerist's happy place or nightmare. As I passed designer store after designer store, I caught a glimpse of a left-turn recess off the main floor that I've never seen. I walked in and discovered a super plush red carpet lining a long stairway leading down to another floor. I love a mystery. It felt like my descent took forever, but when I finally got to the bottom, there was a short hallway leading to a room flashing Arcade, the new gambling experience. I never turned down an arcade. Care for a drink? As long as you play, you drink for free. She had a name tag pinned to her uniform. Erin E. from Last Chance, Colorado. Hmm, I'd like a sidecar, Erin. Thank you for calling me by my name. Most people don't. You gotta wonder why we even bother wearing these name tags. I haven't made a sidecar in years. Hold the quencho, more lemon. Gotcha. I wandered around the arcade, checking out the games while Erin made my sidecar. Each game was a work of art. One, in particular, attracted me. Welcome to Pompeii. Just a little startling. As you might expect, the arcade game Pompeii featured a replica of the ancient Pompeii amphitheater encased in the glass trapezoid. How do I remember what a trapezoid is? Favorite word in geometry. <laughs> Behind the amphitheater stood the infamous Mount Vesuvius, the volcano that destroyed Pompeii. I pressed the button for directions. You will hear three mini-explosions. After that, pull the lever. You control the volcanic explosion and whether it will completely destroy Pompeii. Annihilate the amphitheater and the people inside. You win. Destroy the top half of the amphitheater and the people inside. You tie. Destroy only the top half of the amphitheater. You lose. Are you ready to bet on destruction? Sidecar, hold the Quantro. Thank you. You sure you want to gamble on this game? Yeah, it costs a penny. Think about the odds. Total destruction, horrible destruction, or minor destruction? It's just a game. Well... Try to win, dear. I hope you win. Is there a chance I could see what the three results look like? It's just such an amazing looking game. I'd love to see how it all works. 
I guess I wouldn't be breaking any rules doing that. Numero uno. Minor destruction. The upper part of the amphitheater crumpled. Lose. Numero due. Destruction. A few of the amphitheater blocks blew off the building in the explosion. And then, lava poured out of the holographic image of Mount Vesuvius, making the entire glass encasement go from clear to red. As it did, you heard a soundtrack of people screaming in pain and horror. The good news is, you didn't lose. Tie. Can I see what happens when you win? Afraid that's the privilege of the victorious. Do you really want to play this game? I haven't gambled the whole time I've been here. Might as well gamble on a fancy pinball game. I thought you would. I won't play past my limit. That's what they all say. Are you aware that although the cost of one play is a penny, the lowest bet you can place is $25? I have to bet? Yep. $25 is the minimum? <laughs> Do people bet more than that? You'd be surprised how much people will bet. People like to spend money on things that don't matter and, well, casinos encourage people to take risks. You can't play without betting. That's ridiculous. Casino rules. Probably too much for me. I'll tell you what. I'll let you have one go for free, but then you have to promise to leave. I'm surprised this place is here. I mean, I didn't see any signage for it. Caesar's best kept secret. But then, people know where they're going most of the time. They just don't know it. Like we already know what we're going to do? Something like that. I find Caesar's lonely. Crowds amplify our loneliness. I guess I shouldn't waste too much more of your time. Ready when you are. Aaron put in an arcade card to engage the game. Is that it? Think of it like the gunshot at the top of a race. Pretty startling. You wanted to play. The question is, when do you pull the lever? I waited. I felt nervous. I took in a breath and reached for the lever, pulling in a swift action. As the pieces fell, sure enough, Mount Vesuvius flowed with lava and the glass encasement went red. The good news is you didn't lose. Tie. I did not expect that. Almost everyone who plays this game crashes and burns. I know I promised to leave, and I will, but I'd like to come back. I've never seen anything like this before. And you won't ever again. Sorry, but if there is a next time, you'll have to bet. Of course. Thanks for the sneak peek and the sidecar. Not everyone gets it right. I've been doing this for a long time. Too long. Do you really come from Last Chance, Colorado? That ain't no lie. Enjoy the rest of your day. When I reached the top of the stairs, I felt dizzy. I walked back onto the Appian Way and sat down on a bench. Iman, what are you doing? I marched myself back to the arcade. But when I got to where I thought I'd been, no stairway nor hallway leading to it. Instead, I was looking at a room with the word Kino above it. I walked inside. It was weirdly empty and scarily silent, with no noise infiltrating from the loud casino outside. I sat down to read John Kay. His words had become everything to me. Just as I opened the book... Ever the master of imperfect timing, Jeff. You have one unheard message. 
I stepped out to get better reception. First unheard message. Where are you? Did you actually take my copy of John Kay? Whatever career you thought you might have through me is over. What a drama queen. I walked back into the Kino room. When I did, I was startled to find a guy standing in the center of the room reading my copy of John Kay aloud. And trust me, it'll all just keep getting weirder from here. Superior, uh, Mr. John K. Mercury. I'm not sure if I should laugh or cry. Not exactly a page turner. You're just on the first page. That's mine, by the way. My advice is read on. You might get hooked. That's what happened to me. That's what happens to everyone who reads John K. At old girl. What you are, really, you. Not your you. But I'm still. Loving you. I am here, don't be there. All I got is for you. Stay tuned to episode two. That, my friends, is one scary alien. Thank you for listening. To discover more, you can find us at www.werglobal.show. The journey continues. The journey continues with the episodic novel Mercury's Wake by Stephanie Vlahos, day one before chaos, now available to read on Kindle and as a full cast audiobook.